0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. We're back with our team-by-team draft breakdown. Today I'm joined by Chase Whitney from At The Hive, covers the Charlotte Hornets, and he seems to be very interested in talking draft. I'm joined by Tim Shields, too. You guys know Tim. Chase, man, what's up?
1: not a lot
2: man
0: how you guys doing living the dream how about you tim
2: doing all right did my draft research so feeling good
0: we'll see about that we will see (laughs) so chase let's jump straight into it looking at tankerfun.com the charlotte hornets are projected to go eighth in the first round with their first pick of the draft who are your top three guys and why
1: Well, I think that the best fit at number eight among the players that will most likely be available is Onyeka Okongwu. He's probably the best center in the draft, I think, long-term. I think he's a future potential All-NBA defender and center is a black hole in Charlotte. They have no young prospects at that position and Cody Zeller is their only player even under contract for next year and he is going to be a free agent the following summer. So I just think that, his defensive presence would help the Hornets immensely on that end. They're one of the worst rim protection teams in the league. Uh, I mean, he's doesn't have any jump shot on the offensive end, but he can play around the interior areas, touch with both hands or in the basket. And I also think he's just the best shot blocker in the class going back to the interior defensive presence. So I think he's probably my number one guy at number eight, unless, you know, somebody like Lamella ball or Anthony Edwards or Killian Hayes is magically available.
0: So, we've done a few of these, and Akongu's gone projected as high as second with uh, Cleveland being interested in him. This is all on a mock draft based on SB Nation team by team breakdowns. And he's also gone as low as 12th. For me, Akongu's probably one of the best fits on multiple teams just from the athleticism, the high defensive upside, the vertical spacing. Do you feel like there's a possibility he falls as low as eighth?
1: I, I definitely think he could be there at eight. Uh... I think the Tankathon has him going eighth to the Hornets right now. I'm gonna check. Yeah, they do have him at eighth to the Hornets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be perfect for me if, that, if it worked out like that. Uh, he does have like a really wide draft range because I think it depends on whether or not the person that's writing that mock draft or big board or whatever it be de- prefers him to James Wiseman. I think those whatever one of the two you like better is probably going to end up in the top five and the other one might end up towards like eight to 12 or the end of the lottery or something like that.
0: Well, Same
2: watch your foot. Um, so I know that Adam has really been big on a Kongwu, um, just in terms of how he fits with so many different teams. Especially if for some reason the Celtics we've talked about trying to move up into that top ten, uh, he's an impressive, impressive player. I've looked through his footage a little bit. He just has really, really solid defensive instincts. He's really, really good at slipping into passing lanes and breaking up those passes and just going full court to finish. Um, As you had said mentioned before about his shooting, his shooting really does need to develop. We haven't really seen a lot of what he can do beyond the arc. A lot of his game just comes at the cup. Uh, With that being said, I think he could develop a lot at at um, at the professional level. And in terms of that, I think he also needs to work on his lower body strength and his size in terms of putting on weight. He gets pushed around a lot in terms of offense, and if he works on that a little bit more, uh, it could help him out a lot in the long game, especially when it comes to his shooting.
1: I agree with that. I've, I definitely agree with you guys' point that he would fit on pretty much any team. He just like doesn't need the ball. He's really smart. He could play like as a role player, or he could be your starting center, like defensive anchor. I think he just fits very well, and it's highly unlikely that he isn't good in the NBA. He may not be an All Star, but I think he'll at least be good. He could yeah. also
2: grow out a little bit too, I think. He he does turn twenty in December, so he's got at least one or two more years of growing in him. And he's already six foot nine with a seven foot one wingspan. So
1: Yeah, if I mean if he grows into that, he'll be like enormous. Yeah.
0: I've become quite big on a congru. I've looked at different aspects of his game in terms of what's translatable and what's kind of going to be left behind in the college game. His post moves to me, a very throwback-esque. You can see the the way his footwork is around the post and you start looking back at the nineties and late eighties, even into the early two thousands. That to me isn't going to be as prominent as what it has been in college due to the spacing on the on the NBA floor. However, I do like the fact that the threat he poses down low gives teams another dimension on offense. But it's his verticality and his his raw athleticism that's really going to be beneficial. Especially when he's splitting, coming off the pick and roll and splitting defenses with that vertical spacing. How do you feel he'd play alongside guys like PJ Washington, Devante, and Celtics old favorite Terry Rozier?
1: I I think he'd be like, just like he'd be the defensive anchor that they need. Like that, Devante and Terry are. Terry is a solid defender, and Devante's an average at best defender. Just because they're both very small so that the Hornets let a lot of players get in the paint and he wouldn't necessarily solve all of those problems, but he would definitely help a lot with just stopping the ball once they get in the lane and making the opposing guard make a tougher decision than they normally would have to. And he's all, I mean, they're one of they I think they are 30th in the league in defensive rebounding as well. I and mean, he's like all over the glass on both ends too. He, that, that length helps. He's quick off the floor with that verticality, and I, I, he—I think he'd be like a really, really good fit, especially defensively behind Devontae and Terry, and next to PJ and Miles Bridges.
2: He does excel at rebounding, as you said, especially on the offensive glass. I, I do want to see how he develops his offense away from the basket, because a lot of his work does come at the rim. I, I also do think offensively, one thing he does need to work at is being able to pass to other players while he's trying to get to the hoop. He kind of gets into tunnel vision, and I think he just needs to learn when to kick the ball over to a teammate. And if you've got Devontae Graham and you've got T-Row to go off of, then I think that probably helps a little bit too. Uh, The one thing defensively is I think he needs to learn to defend with his hands and not with his arms, if that makes sense, because he gets caught on pump fakes and will just end up kind of swatting at it, and that just kind of leads to more fouls.
1: Yeah, he was probably – I think he got a little block hungry at times at USC because, I mean, I think for the first half of the year, his block percentage was, like, like astronomically high, like 15% or something like that. So he was just swatting everything. He probably got a little bit overconfident at times. But I think in the NBA, I mean, that'll obviously be toned down because he's not as much of a, like, physical beast compared to everybody he's playing against.
0: So who would be your second pick?
1: I think of players that would be readily available at eight – Tyrese Halliburton is probably my number two. I think that he probably wouldn't start because he's not. I don't think he would necessarily be a, the best like a start, or I don't think he would necessarily be the best wing to start next to Terry and Devontae. But I think coming off the bench, he could be like a combo guard that defends maybe like one through three if he could get a little stronger. And he's like a really really good pick and roll like operator and passer. He can. Get a little, he can get to the rim a little bit, though he struggles with finishing there and he does struggle with pull up jump shots as well, which might hinder that creative passing in the NBA a little bit. But I still think that he can take advantage of pick and roll situations at a much more advanced level than most other players his age. And you saw him get a lot better with a huge spike in usage as a sophomore at Iowa State as well. So I, he wouldn't start necessarily, but the Hornets really need a backup. Ball handler to take pressure off of Devontae Graham. So I think he could fit that role really well. And he's a great shooter too. From spot, Yeah. Ups.
2: Very, very good at three point shooting. He also is really good passer with court vision um, in terms of working in like pick and roll and transition. He, that's where he really excels. Um, very confident passer from what I've seen. The one thing I will say about his shooting form, he does shoot a really, really good clip from beyond the arc, but it's a little bit of a slow release and it looks like his shots going to need a little bit of tweaking. Um, he overall, like when he jumps, he doesn't get that much height or lift on his jump. Like his feet don't actually get that far off the, off the floor. Um, so I think he's going to need a little bit more lift off that jumper. And I also noticed like his elbow kind of locks out on his release. So it just needs to be a little bit more flexible in my mind.
1: Yeah. It's a little bit like a shot put release almost. It does need to speed up a little bit. I think for him to be effective, especially with like off the dribble shooting.
0: And where do you think he fits in best? Are you expecting him to come and bolster the second unit or do you want to see him in the first team from the opening tip?
1: I would imagine that he'd probably come off the bench to start the season just because, I mean, I don't think he would take Terry Rozier's spot on opening night after Terry spent the whole season starting last year. But And I, I think he would just fit a lot better as like kind of running the show in the second unit, like setting the table for everybody, because Devontae was really the only guy on the team that did that. As you guys know, Terry Rozier is not necessarily the best playmaker for others all the time. But, I mean, and after Hammond and Devontae, there's no other player that's really even close to a point guard on the roster. So I, re- I think they need somebody that can handle the ball and just run the offense and get them into sets.
0: So my biggest worry is whether or not he's going to be able to find his shot in the NBA, whether or not he's going to be able to score enough to – remain viable as a first team option or whether or not he's going to be better served developing his game over the first few months coming off the bench do you see that as a worry or you feel quite confident he's going to be able to find the hoop
1: I I definitely see where you're coming from with that I think that, that depends on his like shot transformation as well with how comfortable he would be Right off the bat, because I mean, if he changes his jump shot a little bit and it's a little quicker, and there's no more questions about that type of thing, then that kind of changes how people are going to or teams are going to guard him in the pick and roll, and they're not necessarily just going to have the big drop back and take away the pass as often because you have to respect the shooting a little more. So I think if that can happen, that that like small thing or not necessarily small, changing your jump shot's a pretty big thing. But <laughs> if that were to open up, I think, or if that were to happen, that would open up a lot of possibilities for him.
2: I, I think he also needs to be a little bit more aggressive. The one glaring thing being um, due to his strength and weight, he's not really trying to go into ISO very much. He tends to bring the ball up the floor and kind of dump it off to someone as opposed to trying to create his own shot. So in terms of how that affects the defense, they're, they're not getting drawn towards him. He's not opening up teammates by trying to create his own shot. So I think if he gets a little bit more aggressive um, and just trying to push the defense a little bit there, it will open up more shots for his teammates. And especially if you're looking at Charlotte's situation, that would be really, really good alongside uh, Rozier and Graham.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think that he needs to – his lack of, like, self-creation at this point does hurt him a little bit. And him just developing more of, like, I need to go to the basket and get downhill type of mentality and just being able to kick it out to shooters would probably – that he would fit really well if you were to, you know, adopt that type of mindset.
2: I feel like most of the players in this draft from what I've seen going through like strength and weaknesses, a lot of them is like strength and weight because oftentimes you're seeing people get pushed around both on on both sides of the ball, especially on defense because of that strength and weight. Most of these players that you're looking at, at least in the top five, what I've seen so far are on the younger side. So they're guys who can grow into their frames more gradually. And he's definitely one of those guys I could see developing big time, especially if he hits a growth spurt.
1: Yeah, if he gets a little stronger, I think he could defend pretty much any position on the perimeter. Because he has the length. I think he has like a 6'9", 6'10", wingspan. So if he just adds a little bit of strength, I think he could handle his own against pretty much anybody on the three-point
0: line. How do you feel his playmaking skills fit in with the team that you've got in the system that you run?
1: Well, James Borrego actually talks pretty often about how he wants everybody on the t- or not everybody on the team but ideally he would like everybody on the team to be able to make plays for themselves and others and also shoot threes whenever they're presented to them and he does both t- those two of those things very well and he if he learns how to make plays for himself to even like uh, like half the degree of a normal nba player that's a self-creation score i think he'll be like more than fine
0: which leads us on to your third choice for the eighth pick Who do you feel like, if the other two are off the board, who do you feel like would be the best option for you?
1: I like Devin Vassell a lot, or Vassell, sorry. I I always mess that up when I say it out loud. When I read it, I say uh, Cassell, like Sam Cassell, Devin Vassell. But when I say it out loud, I always say Devin Vassell. I don't know why I slip up like that. But I think that he is definitely the best fit if they happen to fall a little bit in the draft as well, if they go down to like 9 or 10. Because at that point, you're probably not going to get a player that's like a franchise altering, like prospect. So uh, the elite, like three and d potential and like, just all like safe pick Devin Bassel or Vassell would be a great choice. I think because I have three pointers in defense fit in on every team. So you don't need to really work with him to fit into your offensive system. He doesn't need the ball to be successful. He's improved as a playmaker for others as well. And at, as well as a pull-up shooter, And I I obviously think he's like one of the best team defenders in the draft, if not the best. And you can always see him on that end, like pointing things out, running over to help with rotations before the rotation is actually needed, like finding openings before they're there, getting his hands in passing lanes and stuff. He's just a really smart player that would fit in pretty much anywhere. And if he's available, I'm sure he would be available at eight because I don't know if he's like a top five, top seven guy, but. If they fall to like nine or 10 or 11, I, he would definitely be the guy that I would want to scoop up.
2: Most of the stuff that I've seen about him is seeing him like fall anywhere between eight and 12, depending on if a team's really high on him. I, I definitely agree about the defensive part. Uh, one of the better team defenders, he's really sharp on his defensive rotations and he's really good on picking up on switches and playing help defense. So if you give him a clear cut role defensively, he can only really help you there. He's got really good lateral quickness, and because of his size, it makes him really good at shot blocking, especially for guard. And he's really good at reading those passing lanes, and because of his reflexes and instincts, he kind of forces the offense to recognize him as a threat. Um, I do agree on the spot-up shooting aspect too. Um, He's really good at pulling up from three and working off the ball in that regard. He's got a high release, so that's going to translate well because it's not like he's got to break down his entire fundamental shot. I did look through some of his shooting. And the one thing I will say is like his legs get a little bit far apart sometimes when he sets up. So maybe he needs to tighten up that base um, outside of that. I mean, he's got all the tools really there to be a well-rounded offensive threat. He just has to work on kind of carving it out and working on his footwork um, specifically working on his ball handling as well.
0: For me, the biggest red flag around Devin Vassell, if that's it or Vassal, Vassell, however you want to say it, is like his Vassell. Vassell. it be one of his primary roles in the NBA where he's trying to run the pick and roll. It seems to me he's a ball security, his decision-making, his ability to attack the rim out of the pick and roll. All need quite a lot of work. And that's one of the most translatable skills you need coming into the league. Are you worried about how far behind he is compared to some of the other guys in this draft class in terms of pick and roll offense?
1: Um, I, d- I definitely agree with that pick and roll command is a translatable skill. Like if a player is really good at that in college, they're probably gonna be really good at it in the NBA too. And with how much pick and roll offenses ran, that's very valuable to find that in a young player. But I think that, I don't know if his role on a, like a successful team per se, like if it was a, you know, like a lottery team, he might be more of a, like, isolation scorer, pick and roll, ball handler type of thing. But I think that if he were to play on a team like the Hornets, where he's probably not even like the third option on offense, I think he'd be really good just playing off with others. Because even though he was like the kind of the featured player on offense at Florida State, he is still pretty good playing off ball and like cutting to the basket and stuff like that. So, in, in a pinch, I think he'd be able to do the like kind of like lead ball handler duties. But he's definitely best fit just as like the two guard or a wing. Just throw him on basically the best perimeter player and tell him to just play defense and shoot threes.
0: Tim, how do you feel about it? How do you feel his pick-and-roll defense and offense? Because both of those two are both big flags for me on Vassell.
2: I think he gets cocky on defense. He kind of hunts for steals, and that really could get him into foul trouble if he's not careful. Uh, In terms of offense, I think he just needs to be more comfortable with the ball. I think he tends to come down with the ball and he will probably dribble once or twice and then pull up for a shot. And then if he's cutting to the rim at all, he tends to get the lane cut off. And then what ends up happening is he'll throw off like an off balance shot, which at the NBA, that just is going to get swatted. Like it's just not going to fall very often. So I I think if he works on that confidence, being able to play through contact, be comfortable with the ball, he could work better in a pick and roll situation And I think if he works more with his ball handling, he's going to be able to blow by defenders. I think the thing that he needs to work on is just working on that speed and just being able to move more comfortably with the basketball. I think that's really what's going to limit his offensive game. One thing I would say, too, is I think he could potentially develop a back to the basket game if he can just spin away from defenders. I think if he adds that to his game, it's going to allow it to be a little bit more comfortable, too.
1: Yeah, he's big too. He could definitely has the ability to shoot over people if he develops that type of thing.
0: And Chase, you said you see his role being more of like a, a run the floor, get into the corners, or get open in three-point shooting position and play more of a spot-up position. With his off-ball movement and his poor decisions when choosing when to cut, do you feel like that he that can be ironed out and he can be a solid deep ball threat for you guys or do you feel like that's going to be something that's going to be in the works for the next few years?
1: I think he'd be – I mean, if James Brago likes to shoot threes, I think that Devin Vass- or Vassell would fit pretty well just, you know, running down the floor and shooting threes whenever those looks are presented to him. He showed a little bit more pull-up scoring, gravity as the year second year went on at Florida State. So I have at least some reason to believe that that's coming along. So, I mean, if he can do, like, just make the open threes and do a little bit of self-creation on the side, probably when he's out with the second unit, I think that'd be a pretty solid fit there.
0: I like Vassal, though. Like, I've only said negative things about him up to this point. I please don't think that I'm low on him because I do feel he's one of the higher floor guys around that point in the draft, which is quite crazy to say considering we're only talking about the eighth pick, which goes to show the weirdness of this year's draft. I do like his jump shot. I like the way he can drive out either side of the spot-ups. I like the way he can shoot off the catch. A good thing I like about him as well is his length on defense. When he stunts on guys, the pressure he adds due to that wingspan is enough to cause a few turnovers. He was averaging 1.4 steals per game this season in the college league.
1: Yeah, I think um, I've heard – I don't remember what podcast this was, but it was some NBA draft podcast, and I think it's steals are often like the most – translatable stat for an NBA prospect. Like, if you look at successful NBA players, they all stole the ball a lot while they played in college. Which takes... Just because I think it shows IQ, too.
0: It does, as well as... uh, uh, Something got said to me a few days ago in terms of NBA guys that I'd never consider... And that was deflection shows defensive work rates more than steals because if, if you're causing deflections and you're causing tips, then you're jumping the passing lanes more regularly. And I've never looked at it like that before. And it kind of trans- transformed how I look at guys playing active defense.
1: Yeah. I mean, you just think about all the times that you're watching whoever play defense and they tip the ball and it rolls out of bounds. They don't get the steal for it. But I mean, that's like, a, that's a successful defensive possession. I mean, you stop their whole offense and made them have to reset and go again with a shorter shot clock i mean that that, it doesn't show up in the stat sheet but that type of thing is definitely like just as valuable as a steal
0: so that's going to take us up to a break and when we come back we'll look at your second round guys and then after we spoke about that we'll just get a recap off you from what you felt for the charlotte season so far so we'll be back in a moment Okay, so we're moving on to the second round where Tankathon has you.
1: Yeah, they picked 32 and 56. I'm looking at I'm trying to get to the Desmond page. Desmond Bain it's is the loading. 32nd pick. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, there we go. I see that works perfectly because Desmond Bain is one of the guys that I think would be a really good fit there. Tankathon seems to be reading my draft notes or something like that. But I, he's, I think he's like a a stellar potential role player. He's a really good shooter, and he, he was, like, the focal point of the TCU offense last, for all – not last year, but all, pretty much all four years that he was there. He was one of the best players on the team. Uh, he's, he can pull up from long range. He can spot up from long range. He is a re- pretty solid passer for, no, like, a non-point guard. He has a really good handle. He can break the defender down on occasion, though he probably isn't, like, a potent off-the-dribble score in the NBA. But I mean, and he plays just solid, sound defense. He's 6'5, 215 pounds. I mean, is, that's NBA size. I think he's just going to fit in well wherever he goes. He might not be there at 32. I've seen plenty of mocks that have him in like anywhere in the 20s. But if he ends up being there, I think that that'd be a pretty solid pick.
0: How's his college year been? I haven't seen much of him. I haven't got to my second round prospects yet through my draft dives. How's his college season been? Has he been a standout? Do you feel like he's going to come in and be able to at least carve ten to fifteen minutes in the rotation?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that he could just be. That he probably, I mean, he wouldn't be like the feature role player off of a bench, but he could definitely come in and play like solid minutes every game, like ten to fifteen a night if he wanted to. His per thirty-six minute averages last year, he shot forty-four point two percent from three-point range on six and a half attempts per thirty-six. 45% from the field, 3.9 assists, 6.3 rebounds, and his true shooting percentage was 57.3. So he's just a very efficient player. He's pretty smart with the ball. I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over a lot at all. He, he's, I think he'd just be a very solid player to have on your team, and every team needs solid players.
0: Tim, have you seen much of this guy, or are you feeling like me where you're kind of <laughs> in the dark on this one?
2: I'm very much in the dark on it. The one thing I would say, um, just based on what I've seen, um, does drafting a guy who's going to be 22 by the time he gets drafted, does that concern you at all in terms of age? I know that it kind of limits how much he can actually grow, but do you think he's a more polished player coming in the league because of that?
1: I definitely think that helps with his polish. And, I mean, the Hornets love to draft – Old players, So I'm just kind of used to that at this point. And if they're going to do it in the second round, I mean, that's an improvement over doing it in the lottery. So I mean, <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> but I mean, 22 is definitely old, but in the second round, I don't think that's as much of a concern because if a if you get a second round pick and he plays eight years for your team or something like that, and he's a solid player, you hit a grand slam with that. So if you get any amount of service out of a guy you're picking 32nd, even if he's 22 and his performance kind of tops out a little sooner than someone else's would, that's 18. I think you can be, you got to be
0: pretty happy with that.
2: Yeah, when you think about it, Malcolm Brogdon was taken in the second round, and he won Rookie of the Year.
1: So
0: yeah, exactly. And what would you say his floor is? Are you saying he's a high floor, low ceiling, or is it a low floor, low ceiling kind of gamble?
1: I think it's kind of like a high floor, low ceiling type of thing. He would, I mean, he could every I mean, any player can obviously you know, develop higher they're on a faster trajectory than expected and end up being having a high ceiling but as it stands now i don't necessarily think that he would i think he could potentially be a low-end like starting player or like a high-end bench player i think is his ideal role
0: and if he's not available who are you taking instead
1: yeah, uh, I like Desmond or Devon Dotson and Xavier Tillman are my other two. For Dotson, I like going back to the a lot of the stuff I said about Tyrese Halberton, He just has the pick and roll command and is a guy that could play backup point guard and set the table for other guys on the team. While Devon Graham sits on the bench, uh, I mean he, he gets in downhill into the paint with ease, and it, the whole point of playing defense on Kansas last season was to make sure that Devon Dotson didn't get into the paint or dump the ball off to Yudoka Azabuki. And, I mean, he still did it with relative ease pretty often. He plays aggressive defense. And he's only big enough to defend point guards, but, I mean, he's pretty good at it. So, I mean, that's, I, I would take that. And for Tillman, he is a very good pick-and-roll big man, even though he's also very undersized, like Okonwu. But I think that his, he's a rim protector in the sense that not, he's not necessarily a big-time shot blocker. But he deters players from taking shots at the rim just by his positioning or just getting his hands in there or just by being there because he's not necessarily tall, but he's a big dude. And he's a very smart like, team defender. He can kind of just be the defensive anchor that's you know pointing out rotations on pick and rolls and stuff. He's a very good pick and roll defender as well as being a great pick and roll passer and finisher on offense. He doesn't shoot very much. He was, I think he was like 13 for like 50-something. Uh, his senior or his junior year at Michigan State, but I think that he could develop something like that a little bit. And he, he he doesn't necessarily need to. I mean, if you're a backup center or like a low usage starting center, you don't necessarily need to be bombing threes all game if the other four guys on the team are doing it.
0: I like Dutson. I feel like his uh, first steps are really good. Uh, he's one of the guys I had going late in the draft, late in the first round, instead of in the second.
1: I like. His yeah, pick. there's definitely a chance he's not there. I could definitely
0: see that. The only thing I've got bad to say about him, and this is a lot of rookies, it's not just one guy. Uh, and you see it with second and third year guys as well. His guy's regularly, regularly biting on jab steps. The jab step comes and boom, they're up in the air and it's an easy get past. Really frustrating. Uh, he's got an excellent touch around the rim though. He's He looks like he's going to be a solid free throw shooter as well. I like that. So if he's available to that pick, I feel like that's a, one of those draft picks where you're not only picking the best player available, but you're picking a guy that could fit into the majority of bench units.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, Devontae Graham was picked 34th. He was a Kansas point guard coming out of the second round. So I mean, if the Hornets can land another Kansas point guard in the second round, that would definitely be a good move.
0: His first step as well is phenomenal. He can beat so many guys off that first step
1: yeah i it's I think that's going to translate to the nBA too I don't think that's something that only worked in college. He seems like he's just a really quick dude. He has somewhat long arms for his position as well, so I think on defense that quickness will benefit him even because even though he's a lot smaller than most other players, his arms and quickness will kind of like keep him in front of people
2: from like a Charlotte perspective, do you think Maybe it would be better to go with a guy like Xavier Tillman if you're worried about your depth at the four and five.
1: I think that so if the Hornets pick eighth and they picked Okonwu in the first round, I would probably lean Dotson or Bain. But if they pick a wing or any other position in the first round, I would probably want them to lean towards Tillman or I guess just any other big man because I know you don't you don't need like the traditional like bruising centers like you used to but you'd still need them and Cody Zeller is a solid player but he can't be the only guy that you have defending the rim it, it, it happened a lot last year and the hornets were like pitiful at defending teams in the paint and they're 30th in pretty much every like shooting percentage metric at the rim they're 30th in defensive rebounding and all that so i just think that they get, they got to get Cody Zeller some help
0: and then you said the last guy you mentioned was Tillman is that right yes how do you feel about him? Would he be your third choice? So the other two would have to be off the board before you would be happy with Tillman being taken?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think that the other two, probably their ceiling is a more effective NBA player, more like high usage, probably a more featured player on offense. And I think that those types of players are usually more valuable because the scoring and offense is hard to come by. So if they have taken, especially if they've taken Okonwu in the lottery, I think that it's a solid move to go fill a, a hole at another position with a young prospect because pretty much all of their prospects right now are forwards or shooting guards. Like that P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, Jalen McDaniels are all power forwards. And like Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, Malik Monk, Devontae Graham, they're all, the first three of them are shooting guards and Devonte's a point guard that shoots a lot. So they definitely have to fill some holes. And I know you can't draft for need all the time, but that those do need to be filled up by, you can't just keep adding power forwards and combo guards.
0: And Tim, what have you got from Tillman? Have you seen anything on him today or previously, I should say?
2: Um, I haven't, but just looking at Tankathon, generally looking at how he ranks in the top centers. um, I know this is kind of misleading because it does have Wiseman, ranked very high on here as Wiseman first overall, the top five. Um, So Xavier Tillman, according to Tankathon, is the third best center available in this draft. Um, That being said, the fact that he is projected to go 36 overall to Philly kind of just is sort of a summation of this draft. It's not, I don't feel like it's overall very strong, but I do think there are guys who have high ceilings, but also very low floors. So You really don't know what you're going to be getting, especially in the second round.
1: So I, it's just so hard to find tape on players now. I mean, like I can get it through like ESPN every now and again with like the occasional game and there are some YouTube channels, but I just feel like you can't properly watch film on every prospect unless you pay for synergy. And obviously not all of us are doing that. I don't know if you guys have the same problem or not, but so I, I pay for synergy
0: and we I still don't get the tape. Uh, you only get the tape on synergy. If you're connected with a professional basketball team, a college-level basketball team, or a basketball developmental program. Otherwise, no matter how much you pay, you are only getting the statistics.
1: Oh, I didn't see. I didn't know that. I thought they gave you video if you paid. No, I... That's interesting.
0: I've been using Synergy regularly for over a year now, and I've had many conversations with their sales department about why I can't get the video. And it all comes down to you're not a registered coach with a developmental team, a college team, or a pro, pro team.
1: Oh, huh, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't know that.
0: So all of my footage comes from YouTube. I've actually been using a certain YouTube channel. I'm not going to call the name out here. But they basically just collate loads of Synergy clips into like an hour's worth of film. Hmm, there we so, go. That, that valuable yeah, service right there. I will send that to you after this podcast has ended. But yeah, for sure, I've been using Synergy for a while. Uh, it's expensive when you only get the stats, but the stats are so good that it's kind of worth the money.
2: You kick it over to me when you get that link, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, the YouTube link?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, i got both of you. Don't worry about that. It's, somewhat, it's I just don't want to call it out here and get it too much exposure, and then it's gone. Yeah, bang. and then
2: it gets shuts down. No, yeah. that's totally smart. It's a very smart thing. We do not condone illegal. Well, it's not illegal. I mean,
0: it's not illegal because I feel like um, <laughs> he's been doing it a long time. I just feel like it's one of those accounts that are very underutilized. But when... So what I did was I left it late this year and then I have started going through the top five guys, taking all my notes, watching an hour of offensive film, an hour of defensive film. Then I went down to my next five guys, which is why I haven't made it all the way through to the second round yet because I'm still just about wrapping up the first round of prospects. That one YouTube channel has been absolute gold to me.
1: I've, I've been using a couple too that have like the similar like condensed clips and games. It, it's definitely a lifesaver.
0: We get ESPN player here, which is a new thing where we can watch college games, but they're not on demand. So unless I'm treating it like an NBA game and staying up late, it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, they have like contracts with a lot of like college conferences. I think it's the Big 12, the SEC, and like the ACC all have contracts with them, but they don't put the games on on demand. Like you said, like you, you watch it live and then it's just gone forever. It's not like League Pass where you can go back and watch it, which is kind of dumb, but Whatever, I don't work at ESPN. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, we've spoke about your three guys. Let's put them in order now from the goal you want the most to the goal you want the least at each pick. So with eighth, who would you want the most to the least?
1: Uh, I think just the order we talked about in Mokongo, Halbert, and Vassell would be how I'd tier the three.
0: And at 32?
1: Hmm, I would say... I, I, it, def, it depends a lot on the direction they go in the lottery. But say that Mitch Kupchak listens to me and picks on Yekko Okongwu I would probably – I'd probably go with – oh God, it's the Banner. Dotson is a tough choice. Probably Dotson just because they need some relief for Devontae Graham. It's just a guy that can you know run plays, make plays for others, get down into the teeth of the defense and kick the ball out and – Find the big man on the in the dunker spot or something like that. They really need somebody that can do that other than Devontae Graham.
0: And then with your second and third choice,
1: it would probably be yeah, probably just Bane and Tillman, assuming that Mitch Kupchak reads my draft notes. Just because I think Bane is, I like we said, is just a very high floor. I think he'll be really effective as a role player, and I, I think Charlotte, their player development staff, would help. A lot, even though he's an older player, I think they could still help him add to his game and kind of like dispel the, oh, he's, he's 22. His ceiling is closer to being reached than some guy that's 18. I have a lot of faith in their coaching staff being able to improve any player that they get. So I think he'd be a very solid fit there. And then someone's just my third guy because I already picked on Yekko Kong.
0: So if a Kong, just going under the assumption that a Kong isn't there at that draft pick, would you have any interest in picking Paul Reed if he was available in the second round?
1: Uh, yes, I Paul. I th- see the list of players that I like for the Hornets is considerably longer than the ones that I don't like because they're not in a position to be drafting. Like, oh, that guy doesn't fit our system, or he's not at a position of need. So I think that basically any player fits in pretty well unless he's like a very similar, very similar to. PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, or Vellante Graham. As long as you're not drafting someone who does the same things as any of those three guys, I think you're pretty much fine.
0: I'm quite high on Reed for a second round pickup, even or a very late first round pickup, especially I've been talking about it for Boston too. I feel like if He, he would was, be
1: good for the Celtics.
0: If he was available uh, at the end of the first, like so two picks above where Charlotte are actually at the thirtieth pick in the first. And Boston picked him there. I would be completely fine with that. If he fell to Charlotte at thirty-two, if you had a kongru but he was still available, would you want them to pick him up? Uh,
1: I probably not, just because I feel like I feel like it's hard to find minutes for a Paul Reed type of player. If you have Onyeko Kangaroo in the lottery, you have Cody Zeller, you have PJ Washington, you have Miles Bridges, and you have Jalen McDaniels you are all trying to give minutes to. I mean there's only so many minutes to go around. I think for players to develop on the correct path and reach like their peak potential, they have to, you know, kind of be like spread across positions and not be like in a log jam because if you're not playing as much as you should or could be, you're not going to develop as well. So I just think as long as they keep it spread out because Miles and PJ are already kind of have some positional overlap. Like both are probably best fit as a four in the to like today's NBA. So just keep spreading it out. I think Paul Reed is a good player, but if the Hornets already went with a big, I think that it might just be too much concentration on forwardy type players.
0: So now we've looked at the draft and we've looked at a couple of options and then a side note in Paul Reed. When we're moving on now, the season may be coming back. There's everything that's being spoke about that. How do you feel about the pre-mentioned that came out yesterday, the one through 16 format where it's more of a tournament with a reseeding or would you prefer it to start this league to start back where it went into hiatus?
1: Well, I think that the playoffs thing is like pretty complicated because like it's, it's just in like Orlando and having the, like not every team has played the same amount of games and all that. So if you're going to like do all the conference reseeding, I feel like you have to make, or like the one through 16, just the, like the top 16 teams. I feel like you have to, you like have to make them play all the same games or same amount of games. So if some team has played two less games than the 16th best team and they're in 17th and you know, they're only two wins behind. That's that they, if they won those two games, they'd be tied for 16th and you know, they could play in or something like that. So I, f- I think it's going to be difficult for them to do that without everybody having played the exact same amount of games. And then who knows if they're all going to be able to play the exact same amount of games before the playoffs would start anyway. But, and I also think that this whole like NBA restarting thing definitely like does not benefit the Hornets that much because I don't think that they're going to make any sort of playoff run even though they certainly could because they're all, like, young, energetic players and anything can happen if you take two months off in the middle of the season. But if they ended up picking, like, 15th or 14th or something instead of 8th, I would be really sad.
0: Tim, what's your take on all of this? Because it's something we haven't discussed at this point.
2: In terms of them just jumping right back into it versus just going into playoffs? Or what, what do you mean, like, in terms of my opinion on that? Yeah, I think I think returning to play for at least a few games makes sense. Maybe doing some kind of play-in for teams that are on the bubble. I don't know how, in terms of seeding, it's going to pan out. I don't know if that gives un- some other teams maybe some time to get back into the swing of things. So, you know, if first seed's waiting for that eighth seed matchup or 16th seed matchup, whatever it may be, for those last two seeds – Maybe that gives other teams time to get into practice facilities, get back to the swing of things, get back in five-on-five scrimmages, working on stuff like that. So maybe doing a couple games to see if teams can work out their seeding and then maybe doing a play-in tournament for those last seeds makes a lot of sense just because it gives other teams more time to kind of ramp up to it. I just think there's no way they can jump right back into playoff basketball. It just doesn't – logistically doesn't make sense because you're already asking for these guys to do a lot going from no play to straight-up playoff basketball, regardless of what the matchup is, that's going to be difficult. So I think you're going to probably see about a month or so of practices and then maybe getting in a couple regular season games for teams to just kind of get a little bit of momentum, get back a little bit of play, just trying to get back to that speed. I think that's really just going to be the big deciding factor in it. I wouldn't be surprised if the NBPA kind of steps up in that regard. For their
0: players. Yeah, that makes sense. The the only thing I do like about the reseeding idea is the way that West Coast and East Coast teams are pitted against each other pretty much throughout the entire series, like the entire playoffs as a whole, which works really well because it's in one location. They're in that bubble anyway. So but when you looked at Boston's potential run to the finals and they had to go through who was it, the Sixers, the Clippers, and the Bucks just to make the finals. That was um, quite daunting. But again, that would be such an entertaining playoffs just because of the way it's going to be constructed. I don't think it could be something... That I spoke about this yesterday, actually, after a podcast I was on and we went off there. For me, it, it feels like if this was a success, maybe this would be how they try to plan the in, in-season tournament moving forward where teams play in, in, similar to a bubble, but with fans and everyone there, but in one primary neutral location... And have a two-week tournament there. I'm excited to see that happen. I do understand what everybody's saying in terms of well, it's not totally fair on the other teams that were on the on the cusp of making a playoff spot, but were just behind. But then, is it fair on the teams that were in that playoff spot to now be fighting off teams that wouldn't have made it but have now healed from injury?
2: Also true. I do. I do think the the one thing that. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh no! You can go. Um,
2: I, I do think the one thing with returning to play that you have to consider where these guys are at, like mentally, in terms of having to just jump right back into play while all this is going on. And I think, I, I think in terms of plans, I think it's cool to let other teams get in there. I just think there's a lot of logistical stuff you have to worry about too. So. I feel like any kind of return to normalcy is going to be the way to go, and maybe holding off and trying to do the whole reseeding thing. And as much as it might bother guys like Dame Lillard, who I think is totally right to say, "Hey, if I don't have a chance to go back to the playoffs, I'm not going to bother playing." I get that. Right now, considering the situation we're in right now, I don't blame guys not wanting to come back and play, um, especially if their teams are, you know, outside looking in in that playoff bubble. But Who knows? I mean, if, if players agree to it, that's really all that matters to me is that the players are cool with it. I don't have any doubt that this NBA administration um, knows how to handle this kind of situation. You know, we're in really, really foreign waters for everyone involved, including the fans. So any return to basketball, I'm just going to brace with open arms at this
1: point. Uh, I mean, I I completely agree, especially with what you said at the end, if if like the players want to do it and like they feel safe or, comfortable with anything that they want to do i mean that's obviously more than fine with me i like to watch basketball and if the players are playing and enjoying it and are willing then i'll take whatever i can get and and i also think that if this ends up with the start of the season being pushed back like permanently to like november december or something i think that's in a weird way like a win for the nba because i i think that that schedule change is something that is pretty much inevitable for them to kind of like get away from competing with like the, the heat of the NFL season. And they kind of get their own like starting period up separate from the NHL and college basketball. So I think if that ends up happening, I think that would be like a tiny victory in all of this very strange waters.
0: So that pretty much wraps us up for today's episode. Chase, I want to say thank you for coming on. Do you want to take this time to plug your socials, any work that you're working on? Anywhere people can find you?
1: Uh, well, first, I, I thank you guys for having me on it. This was a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. But anybody that wants to you know, keep listening to me talk or read anything I have to say, go to appthehive.com. It's the Charlotte Hornets SB Nation affiliate that I write for. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ChaseWhitney underscore. And uh, yeah, I think that's actually the only two ways to, to find me.
0: So. <laughs> Chase, it's been awesome having you on. i really like the picks that you've got. Especially your second rounders. It seems like you, because it's a high second round pick. It seems like you're looking to get value there, and kind of develop those. You've the Hornets at the moment have got quite a good young core that have all been built around smart drafts, which kind of gives you guys hope, right? Are you expecting to be contenders in the next five to ten years?
1: I think so. I mean, Mitch Kupchak's draft record since he came to Charlotte has been like pretty solid. I mean. He's done what he can with their like cap hell situation of paying Nick Batum twenty five million dollars a year and Bismack Mac Biombo seventeen Marvin Williams fourteen and all that stuff. He's navigated that about as well as you can because obviously you're not going to be able to trade those contracts. So dude, he's I think he's drafted well. He's made some sound financial decisions and I've, now I think with a high lottery pick and a high second round pick. I think that's some good ammo for him. I, I, I have trust in Mitch Kupchak.
0: And we'll end it there. So, guys, make sure to check out Chase's work. If you've got any interest in the Hawks, then follow Chase on social media. Chase, will definitely have you back on once the basketball's resumed and Boston are playing Charlotte, so we can see how that plays out. Get your thoughts on the way the Celtics are constructed. And if it's after the game, we'll get your thoughts on how it played out. Surely there's going to be some questionable calls. calls and that wraps us up we'll be back again on Monday where we will be diving into Touchwood. we should be diving into the Celtics picks we've done loads of other teams we've avoided doing the Celtics up to this point so that will be coming Monday make sure to keep your eye on celticsblog.com for any new Celtics content and make sure to be following myself Adam Taylor NBA on Twitter and Tim Tim Shields NBA on Twitter because Twitter because he followed my <laughs> handle